You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, a credentialed reporter, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Just wanted to tell you that it's good to be back. It was a little bit of a hiatus for me over the last couple of days of last week. Missed Miami's win over the Washington Wizards, the second game of a back-to-back set against the Wizards. And unfortunately, uh, it was a personal matter. And if you've been listening to the show for some time, you're probably more than a little aware that I don't necessarily divest information regarding my personal life. I talk about my son and my wife on occasion, but this was a little bit more uh, depressing. Actually, we had to put down our family pet of almost 12 years, Burger. He was a good dog, a good boy, and unfortunately, he was overtaken by severe liver problems that just really sapped the life out of him, and unfortunately, we had to put him to sleep late last week. So my apologies for not being able to put out a show to talk about the Wizards or even on Thursday because I did have something planned with my former co-host Wes Goldberg that never really panned out of course so uh, my apologies for that but I I do want to dedicate this show to Berger and a reminder to all of you to love your pets if you have them and if you don't have one and you have space time and money to you know invest in a good friend and a friend that will love you back then please consider it so anyway did want to talk about Miami's second straight win that's an exciting thing. Apparently, the only the second time they've been able to do that this season. Miami improves to nine and fourteen. So through twenty three games, they've only been able to string back to back wins on a couple of occasions. Not great, but it's a stepping stone, right? They took the, the second game of that series against the Wizards. They were able to limit Bradley Beal, and then on Sunday afternoon, right before Super Bowl Sunday or on Super Bowl Sunday, they were able to knock off the Knicks one hundred nine to one hundred three. You're probably listening to this on a Monday. I imagine most people who listen to this show pretty regularly are probably watching the Super Bowl and might be a little hungover. But if you're relaxing at home, if you took the Monday off uh, following the unofficial holiday, this unofficial American holiday, then hopefully you're listening to the show right now. And look again, it's a, another win for Miami. A good one, I'd say. I know there was some back and forth about that on Heat Twitter regarding whether or not this was a, a good win. But at this point of season... I think any win is a good one. You're trying to build positive habits, and maybe they might not be sustainable against better opponents. But the Knicks, credit to them, they have a potential all-star in Julius Randle. They've also got a top defense. You know, Tom Thibodeau, something he was not able to accomplish in Minnesota, is have been able to do so in one season, half a season, I mean a third of a season in New York. So he's been able to implement some real structure there. So it doesn't feel sustainable from the Knicks' end as far as whether or not they're going to be this good. They're already making moves to shore up some weaknesses on their roster. They think they have a legitimate chance at the playoffs. Right now they are in the top eight seats, so maybe they'll be able to sustain it, but who cares? This isn't a show. If you want to listen to Lockdown Knicks, hats off to you. But for Miami, they were able to do things well. And and that's, that's the big story for me is that I think Whereas we would have seen this team a couple weeks ago, especially without Jimmy Butler, get punched in the mouth. And they were. They got they were down early in the first quarter. It was a 10-0 run from the Knicks. All of a sudden, Miami just looked completely lost. 
and Reggie Bullock was going off uh, the Malik Muck special. He was shooting extremely well in that first quarter. I believe he went 4-4 four four in the first quarter, finished off 7-14 with 21 points. So that, I guess, kind of tells part of the story in that, um, you know, he, he did wind up missing most of his next shots. He went 3-13 of 13 after that 4-4 four for four start. But that was, you know, indicative of Miami's defense. They do give up a lot of threes. Bullock, a pretty solid three-point shooter who's had an off year, was able to capitalize early on. And then Miami did the right thing. They tightened up their defense. They switched. They hedged. They trapped a little bit more intensely. You notice that that was something that was a big part of their defense today is when guards had the ball and they were initiating from the high post, there was a lot more trapping sets in their defense where they were trying to limit the the entry pass to initiate the offense. Now, when Randall was initiating offense, a little bit more difficult to stop him considering he's, I think, 6'10", somewhere around this. Uh, he's he's a fairly big body and, uh, you know, muscular, well-built, uh, a guy who can look over other defenders and initiate offense. He's He seems more comfortable in that role. I know that's always been part of his bag, but he seems like he's just embraced that role a little bit more in, in the New York, well, with the Knicks this season under Thibodeau. But Miami was, you know, they were able to tighten their defense in certain spots. They focused a little bit more on offense. They got some key contributions from starters and guys off the bench, particularly Tyler Hero, who is in his second straight game coming off the bench. And, and he looked good doing so. This is... Probably a role that's best suited for him. So the big overall point is for Miami, they showed some tenacity. They got punched early. They responded. They were able to go back and forth with the Knicks. Most often than not, it seemed like they had control of the game. And while there were some tense moments late in the fourth quarter where they had a lead and they let that slip away because I think a Julius Randle three wound up tying the game with just a few seconds left or a minute or so left in the game. Miami was able to, again, tighten up their defense, find a way to to score crucial points that had been difficult for them. Again, credit to the Knicks' defense. And they were able to do things at the right time, would make the right play. And that kind of timing and understanding is partly what made Miami so special last year. If you recall the bubble run in particular, but they had stretches like this early in the season before other teams caught on. Miami just seemed to find a way to win, right? Against the Bucks. Maybe they'd be down five. Maybe they'd be down three. Maybe they'd be holding on to a tight lead, but they'd still be able to just create enough space, tighten gaps a little bit, make the right play, and come away with a win. Pushed them all the way to the finals. While okay, <laughs> the Knicks are not quite that level of competition, at least not from what I've seen, it was still a positive victory. And I think that's the overall takeaway from that. Now, Moving on to more minutia, Tyler Hero coming off the bench, what can I say? He, he spoke uh, post-game to media and just didn't seem to quite be happy with it. Look, this is me being interpretive here and, and kind of just reading the words. I think he might feel it's a little bit of a demotion. I think the exact words he used were, you know, the role is the role. I have to find a way to star in my role. And that's absolutely true. You can be a star in the league even if you're coming off the bench. He's closing games. He's finding a way to to you know be productive whenever his minutes are out there. He has to find a way to shore up other weaknesses in his game. We know he can score. He seemed like he was losing a little confidence from three, but he responded with a fairly good game, two of three. So looking for less shots, but effectively knocking those down, efficiently doing so, that I think is more positive than anything else. But as far as finding his role... That's probably where he's best suited. 
Like he did have some started games here earlier in the season. He also did so in the playoffs. I think I, the experiment of, as far as him being a point guard, I don't know that it's worked necessarily. Uh, I think he's just not quite fitting in there. And, you know, a lot of that was necessary when Jimmy was out of the season or not out of the season, missing time because you needed another ball handler. And Hero certainly is that. Is he efficient in doing so? Can he control offense the same way Goran and Jimmy can? No. I, he's not there yet. Maybe he will be, but I think he's just hes just a guy who's so much more wired to look for his shot. Can Lou Williams initiate offense? Yeah. But he's looking for his shot, and I think that's where Tyler is kind of slowly finding his role. Now, that's not to say that at 21 years old, he can't redefine himself, that he can't eventually branch out and be more of that you know, not quite score first mentality. I think that's still the next step for him, evolutionarily speaking. But right now, at this point, he is a little bit more limited in that sense. And Miami needs to find ways to win now. They can't afford to take any more time to to risk losing any more games and give this experiment a little bit more leeway. For now, Hero needs to come off the bench and he can dominate as a scorer, which he did today. 16 points, 7 of 13 shooting. 12, 32 minutes. That's efficient. That's effective. It's making the most of those time, of that time that he's out there. He looked like he was in control, and it's against secondary defenses, perhaps, but he's also going up against some starters on occasion, and he's making the most of it. We know he can score. He's going to find a way to score against anybody, whether it's, you know, Anthony Davis or whether it's Julius Randle or Alfred Payton. He's going to find a way to score. So for him to come off the bench and be able to produce more efficiently and in less minutes I think is a great opportunity for him and he should make the most of it it sounds like he is accepting if not necessarily embracing the role and I think there's nuance there there's a little bit of a separation I'm not saying he's gonna you know cause a problem or disrupt team chemistry or anything like that I think he feels a little a little annoyed by it that's just my interpretation I think it's also going to be a fuel for him to push him to be more effective. And eventually he'll get a starting nod. I, I have no doubt of that. Now, Jimmy, however, came back, you know, has looked great. And I think part of what I was referring to before when I saw when I saw Miami being able to respond back, that's taking cues from him. Bam spoke about that, about what it was like playing alongside Jimmy. And look, that that type of questioning is always very difficult because you remember all these guys are superstars. They've all been superstars at one point or another. Maybe they've not, not been able to do so consistently at the NBA level, but it's difficult for them to kind of swallow their ego and say, I've got to defer to Jimmy Butler. And so for a guy like Bam, who's up and coming and an all-star in his own right, to answer questions about what it's like playing alongside Jimmy kind of forces him to address that maybe he's not capable of leading the team to the same degree. Something that I'm perfectly comfortable saying, but I'm not Bam Adebayo. I don't have to be the one to say, yeah, I'm not quite good enough, and we defer to Jimmy a little bit. Now, he didn't quite say that. He also just acknowledged that Jimmy is a guy who, he's one of our leaders, and then he kind of threw in he's our max player. It's so funny. <laughs> I just I, I want to kind of take a, a segue here. It's just amazing to me. We never consider it. I mean, look, fans, media members always bring up contracts a certain degree. But NBA players do it too. Like they don't necessarily want to be defined by it, but they kind of define themselves by it. That's that's a max guy is coded language for he's going to get paid a lot of money and maybe he's our leader too. But at the same time, he's getting paid a lot of money first and foremost. 
So it was just interesting that he he labeled Jimmy a Max guy. I think he also does see him as a leader. And moreover, he does lead by example. He does do things the right way. He is, as I've mentioned before, one of the few players in the NBA, I think personally, second to LeBron James, perhaps at the same level as a Kawhi Leonard type, where he can kind of view what's necessary over the course of a game and adjust accordingly. Do I need to be aggressive, Jimmy? Yes. Can I slow the game down and get to the line? Absolutely. Can I make plays for others to get Tyler going or Duncan going? And can I see when those players are feeling it a little bit and need to get them the ball in a certain place? Yes, I can. That's an incredible skill that I have not noticed. I did not know that about Jimmy. And I had been long talking about Jimmy coming to Miami back before he was in Minnesota when he was in Chicago. And, well, maybe not then. I thought maybe in Chicago, and Minnesota for sure. In Chicago, I thought he was actually going to just take over that team forever because they had already moved on from Derrick Rose. Anyway, the point being, he is an incredible leader and he provides an incredible stability to this team. He does help their identity. And part of that is being able to respond and say, all right, we took this shot from the Knicks. We're down early. Let's not panic. Let's not panic. And I, and I mentioned this last year in the playoffs about Spo. is that Spo always had that kind of calm demeanor. I still think it matters. For Jimmy, I think it's there as well. He, he's just he's not a guy who's prone to panicking. He knows what it takes. Chip away at a lead. Come back slowly. And it's so easy to overcome, especially with the prolific you know, three-point shooting on this team. You can always chip away at a 10-point, 15, even a 20-point lead is not insurmountable anymore. Kendrick Nunn, uh, I think, deserves a little shine as well. Had a big game, continues to start, uh, especially now that Goran Dragic is out uh, for some time. He had a pretty effective night in 31 total minutes. He had 16 points, 4 of 7 from 3-point range, 6 of 11 overall, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Looks like he's trying to make the play for others. I mentioned this to um, Will Manso of WPLG. He, he mentioned that he was a playmaker. I said, yeah, that's why he's getting all those minutes. And, and I think Manso agreed. And I, I think that's the reality is that you're looking at a nun who is a little bit more balanced in his approach. He's Is he still looking to score? Absolutely. There was a moment there early on which had elicited a concern for me and that he was at the top of the key saw that uh, he, he took a dribble handoff from Bam and wound up taking a pretty far-ranging shot, I think about 25, 26 feet or so. And the rest of the offense was just stagnant. It was actually like stuck. Nobody was moving. Duncan wasn't moving. Jimmy wasn't moving. Bam set that screen. But nobody else was out to Kelly Olenek had stopped. And we're just They're all just watching Kendrick Nunn operate. And, and that's not necessarily great offense. And I don't think this is an indicator of Nunn but I think they understand also that he's probably less likely to make that play. But things kind of shifted a little bit, and he did start to look for that pass. Uh, if he's driving baseline, he can kick it out to somebody in the perimeter. If there's enough secondary cutter following him, a trailer on the way to the, the hoop, I think they'll be fed the pass now, something that Kendrick might not have been willing to do earlier uh, last season in particular. So if that's the next evolutionary step for him this season, if he's going to be able to incorporate that more often than not, more more power to him. I, I think he can be a solid player. I've seen the point being made a couple of times that none plays better with Jimmy. I think that's fair. I, I saw some chemistry there. I saw Jimmy again. And maybe I, I'm prone to reading it more as, well, that's just Jimmy. He's going to find everybody. But maybe he needs to do that. Maybe Kendrick relies on that a little bit. Like He needs to play alongside Jimmy because Jimmy is going to find him. 
and he doesn't have to kind of weigh anything. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's the conference of being the quote-unquote max guy. It's like, you don't have to worry about deferring anybody. There's no insecurity in that. It's like, hey, I'm still getting paid. I am, you know, unquestionably the leader in this team. I'll find you when I find you. It's up to you to kind of capitalize on that. So uh, I, I think that's a good thing for Kendrick is that he understands how to play alongside Jimmy. And if that's the case, then he can continue to flourish that way. But given that Kendrick is starting now, are there concerns about the bench? For me, there are. Uh, I, look, Precious Achua struggled a little bit today. I'm not sure if it was the overall size. I'm not sure what's going on there. But he seems to be a little off of late. And I, I don't think he's taken that next step. I don't think it's quite the rookie wall. I think there are just there are limitations to what he can do. He's not quite a, a shooter yet. He does make plays for others on occasion, but he does also look a little uncomfortable sometimes when he's got the ball in his hands. Like, there's moments there where he's fluid as hell, and there's others where it's like, oh, don't, don't, don't do that again, please. Uh, so, can he turn it around? Absolutely. He's still young. He, 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 there's no, there's no real concern here. Just kind of watching him and saying, well, maybe he hasn't quite developed that that go-to move you know he's such an effort guy and he, he finishes well around the rim and he does have some nice moves around there you know more polished I think than even Bam might have had if not the same level of uh, athletic explosion but you know he, he needs to develop a little bit more polish he'll get there again that's why I'm not concerned he's just not necessarily going to make the same kind of impact moving forward throughout the rest of the season which is probably why he's not playing alongside Bam for prolonged minutes. Now Andre Iguodala continues to be impactful. Uh his defense has been phenomenal. Wound up having two more steals. He's a, a team leader in steals and just his deflections have been fantastic. His awareness has been great. His offense is going to be inconsistent, but as long as he's playing that well defensively, he fits a certain role. And I think we should embrace that, to be honest with you, because he does go out there and contribute at a pretty high level. So overall, I'd say, again, a solid game, good solid contributions. This bench does have some issues because if Kendrick's starting, then you're missing a certain amount of punch when Precious doesn't have it going or Andre doesn't have it going. Uh, Gabe Vincent got some playing time, but he's a little too foul prone. He provided a boost offensively, and I think he's earnest as, as a defender. But if he's so foul prone, he winds up becoming more of a liability than a, on, than he probably should be, given that he's competing for a job here. So Goran needs to come back, and he needs to play. I think off the bench. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. We'll also talk about the power forward spot because the a front potential front court problem is a big concern for a lot of Heat fans from what I'm seeing. There is an alternative out there, perhaps via trade, and I'll answer all of your listener questions here on the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and more. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times, in Style Magazine, or in Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, and they're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people, and with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. 
Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. So it's no secret that Miami's power forward spot has been a problem for most of the season. So I kind of want to incorporate some of your listener questions and see if I could address it a little bit. This one comes in from Bando. He says, curious to see how... Julius Randle did against Bam. Seems like a lot of his points came off of Precious or Olenek. Actually, Precious Achua didn't really have much playing time. He only had nine total minutes. Olenek got some of Randle's scoring. But let me tell you, he scored on Bam. He scored on Jimmy. He scored on everybody. That's kind of where I wanted to take this because Randle, an interesting name. Look, they drafted Obi Toppin in New York, and they've got other guys like Taj Gibson, etc. I'm not sure if they're looking to move Randall. I've heard some news about that. I think I don't think he's liable to get moved. It, it seemed much more likely, perhaps, when the joke was an easy one to make, that they had 11 million power forwards. I don't think they're quite there the same way they were once were. They have Mitchell Robinson, who's a center, somewhat limited as far as his overall offensive game is concerned. Randall seems much more polished, a guy who's bringing the ball up. It's a big front court in New York. I think they'd rather keep him. And look, the, the deal is he's got another $18 million this year, another 19 and a half next season. I believe that's where it winds up breaking down. So I don't think he's trade-worthy. Uh, I don't think he's a legitimate candidate there. But, uh, you know, this question comes in from Miami MVD, who writes, we need a four. What's the name that you were thinking about? And then J.J. Rivera, the host of the 305 Culture Pod, writes out, do you think the team should move on from Kelly O? I certainly think that we can find something better on the market, i.e. Thaddeus Young, Harrison Barnes, or P.J. Tucker, and his salary is perfect for matching purposes. Look, any deal you're going to make, is probably going to be one that's going to hurt Miami. You're not going to take on a player, and this is still a concern. Even though Giannis isn't going to happen, even though Kawhi Leonard is a pipe dream, you probably can't make a move for Victor Oladipo. Maybe you can. Maybe you're not even interested in doing so. Maybe you don't want to wait until Bradley Beal finishes out his extension. I don't know that you necessarily want to tie up long-term money in any kind of player that's going to be a short-term upgrade. I, I don't I don't know that there's going to be any player that you're going to be able to, uh, you know, procure this season in the middle of the season that's going to be a huge upgrade over Olenek. An upgrade, certainly. A huge upgrade, probably not. I think Tucker is a nice name. I think you know I talked about this with Rowan Nadkarni of Sports Illustrated last week. Their price tag's probably going to be a little high in Houston. They, I don't, I'm not sure where they're currently at as far as their their season is. And whether or not they're gonna, they're still focused on making the playoffs. Christian Wood is hurt. Oladipo's been a little off. He's had some big games and some bad games. Their roster is still very much uh, a work in progress, considering they had to, you know, trade away their best player, one of the best players on the planet, and James Harden. So I'm not sure what their goal is for this season. Whether or not they just want to tear things down and kind of restart with Christian Wood as their star. I'm not sure that's the route you want to go, but that's just my opinion. Overall, though, you're probably not going to be able to pry Tucker away from the Rockets. I don't think you're necessarily going to be able to do that with Thad Young either. The Bulls seem like they're interested in making the playoffs, and while Young is a pretty solid player and would certainly shore up a lot of what Miami's issues are, he can rebound, he can defend, he's switchable, he's got some offense. Not He's not a go-to scorer, but he can get you buckets if he needs to. Uh, to me, I think that's a nice fit. Probably the 
best fit for me. Uh, I think he's a guy who Tucker seems like a great name, and I think we've just kind of focused so much on him being this three and D kind of guy, a switchable guy. I just he look last season playing quote unquote center really took some toll on him. I don't know that that's the guy you want to be able to rely on. He's older. Uh, a lot of miles on that belt right now, so I just I don't know that you necessarily want to make him your go-to player. Not necessarily the go-to player, but the, the, the kind of guy that you're building around as far as, well, let's upgrade our rosters to some degree. If it's going to cost you a first-round pick and maybe even a nice young player like a Precious Achua or somebody else, that's not necessarily the route that I think we should go in. To me, Harrison Barnes is a really nice name. He's got a couple years left on his contract. He's getting paid some nice money. The thing I like about Barnes is, one, there's still youth there. Like, there's this joke here about Barnes because, you know, he was the, the, the sacrificial lamb for the acquisition of Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, the historically great player. Kevin Durant, one of the top scorers in NBA history. Kevin Durant, the guy who wound up winning a couple championships with Golden State. Yeah, that guy. If if you're the player who's second to that or that you have to kind of give up in order to acquire Kevin Durant, that's not a knock on you, man. I, like, seriously, Barnes is still a pretty solid player, and he's having a phenomenal year. You, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to my crossover episode with uh, Locked On Kings uh, host Matt George, but we talked about what Barnes was like and whether or not he'd be a guy that Miami might be interested in. The long-term money is still a concern for me, but his fit, I got to say, would be great. I think he's got championship experience, familiar playing alongside Andre Iguodala, big enough, switchable enough, can stretch the floor, can put it down on occasion, can make the right pass. He's smart. Again, all those intangibles and on-the-court production is a perfect fit for him. To me, that's the name that I'd focus on. And it's probably somewhat hypocritical, not hypocritical, but misleading, considering that there are concerns about his contract. He's actually signed through the 2023 season. So he's getting paid $22 million this year, 20 next, 18 the next. That's the big issue here. Is, that, is Barnes a great fit for Miami? Absolutely. Now, he then becomes your plan B as far as free agency is concerned. That money that you had allocated for, say, Giannis or Kawhi or somebody else, that's now Harrison Barnes' money, at least in the short term. A secondary trade down the road might have to be considered. And is Barnes – will Barnes' tenure in Miami – highlight what he can do or diminish his role where he's not putting up the same kind of production, the same kind of points that he was in Sacramento, where he's not necessarily their star or even their centerpiece, but he's still probably your best go-to scorer. Darren Fox has that responsibility. Tyrese Halliburton can do it. I think Barnes still has a much bigger role there than he probably would in Miami. And so if he's coming in here, does he become Jake Crowder, where he kind of just focuses on what he does well and becomes the best version of himself here? Or does he take a step back and then he's not necessarily as tradable, as uh, attractive to other teams as he currently is in Sacramento? I think it's more of the latter. That's my big concern here. I'm okay with acquiring him and not having to give up a lot in order to do so, and then still having him be a guy that is part of your team. Like He can fit alongside Bam. Again, he's smart. I think he understands... The game as well as anybody. He's got experience here next to Iguodala. I think Butler would like him. He kind of comes across as maybe not necessarily the most passionate just because he's so soft and well-spoken and maybe he just doesn't seem to have that same kind of edge as a Jimmy type does. But I think that's probably, again, a very subjective on my part. And I think there's also that – I think that's probably overstated uh, to a huge degree. So – to me, I think Barnes is a great fit, and 
I'm okay with him being your guy. Like you're probably not gonna be able to acquire a superstar. You just you can still keep the roster you have. Maybe he's chipping into Duncan money. That might be the big concern. So you're probably risking the loss of Duncan Robinson. But this year alone, you'll have Duncan. You'll have Tyler. You probably have to sacrifice Kelly Olynyk. But you still have Iguodala. You still have all the other members of this team that are going to be key rotational pieces moving forward. And you can add a Harrison Barnes to that. And if that's the case, I like this deal. So I'd consider it. That's the name I'd put out there. It's not necessarily one that the Heat are considering, at least not from what I've heard. But it's something to think about. We'll see. Uh, you know, aside from that, maybe there is uh, somebody else on the Knicks roster. And it might not be Julius Randle that the Heat might consider and would see as a good fit here. But is there a different role for Myers Leonard in the future? I'll answer that and more uh, listener questions in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your sport action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards shows, TV shows, reality TV. You want to bet on the Real Housewives? <laughs> this is a place to do it. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, when you're tired, uh, from making too much money betting online, let me tell you, grab yourself a Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever, and it's got all the nutrients you're looking for. So much of what you might want to find in a protein bar, all in one convenient package that's 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and again, more delicious than ever. 18 amazing flavors. You can build a box with all of your favorites. They're great for health-conscious people. If you're looking for a snack to indulge in and you want a little treat, Built Bars are the way to go because they're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. They're great for all sorts of diets. And right now, best of all, better than anything else I've mentioned, if you go to BuiltBar.com use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, convenient. Mix and match some of your favorites. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off, but only at BuiltBar.com. You can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. Bernie writes in, which attainable Knicks player would fit well on the Heat? Now, if you saw a tweet from me during the game, you probably know where my head's at. Randall would be a great fit, a little bit too much money. Maybe a good fit alongside Bam. I think he's still young enough. Another Kentucky guy. I love that fit. I don't know that they're looking to move him. But you acquire Derrick Rose for whatever reason because he's a Tibbs guy. And all of a sudden, there's a point guard, sort of, that's on that roster that is probably going to get moved. Frankie Smokes. Frank Nikilakina. I'm probably butchering that name. Frank Nikilakina. I think that T is silent. Nikilakina, it's tough. I'll get it right. If he, if the Miami Heat get Frank Nilakina, I will be sure to pronounce his name as accurately as possible. But for now, he's a guy who, you know, he's shooting well this season in only four games. He's got limited shots up. Uh, you know, I think two and a half, three shots per for, from three-point range this season. Again, in limited touches. He's not a focal point offensively. He's still pretty raw. 
defensively, he's effort. He's a guy that Knicks fans have pinned a lot of hope on because he was a lottery pick. And like, there's so much pressure to succeed in New York. It's been a badly run team, a badly coached team with a lot of turnover over the last few seasons. It's almost unfair to bring any player in there and hope that they're going to turn things around right away. That just, it's unlikely that's going to happen. And if that's the case, then Nikhil Akina's lack of development isn't as much a concern for me as probably some people. Uh, to me, he's a guy who can defend at a high level, who's raw offensively, who can take time to develop in Miami, not be a guy you have to focus on and can slide in there. Look, Avery Bradley's a one-year deal, but you're still going to need a point-of-attack defender. Why not bring in a 22-year-old you know, player with a lot of athleticism and potential who can take that defense to another level? I, I love the fit. I, I probably would have taken a big chance on Dennis Smith Jr. too, who got traded to Detroit in exchange for Derrick Rose Jr., uh, or Derrick Rose, period. I don't know, whatever his name is. Uh, and I think Dennis Smith has some potential offensively. He's a guy who gets along well with Bam, too. Again, not, not a big deal. He's not available right now. At least I don't think so. But as far as Nikhil Akina is concerned, I think he's you know he's a nice fit for Miami because of that defensive potential there and because of Miami's proven track record of developing players. This next question comes in from Philly Heat, who writes, on the KO roller coaster, is it the type where you have to have a just have to have a lap belt, or do you need the full harness over your shoulders? How tall do you have to be to ride this roller coaster? I guess this is the running joke here about inconsistent Kelly, where you'll have big games, bad games, in between games, and you have games uh, where he's bad and then good and then good and then bad, and that's of course the roller coaster. That's the Kelly O experience. You know, I hate roller coasters. Uh, you know, if, if there's one advantage to being six foot three and having a, a six foot five reach is that I don't really have to climb too many high places in order to you know change a light bulb or reach for things. I don't necessarily need to go anywhere else uh, for that. And I'm not a big fan of roller coasters personally. I hate them. Uh, my wife loves them. Uh, I don't know where my son's at because he's two. He's never really ridden a roller coaster yet. So hopefully he'll be more on her side of things. But uh, as far as roller coasters are concerned, I am more than happy to leave them. Kelly O, to me, I, I get the sense, though, that it's the full harness kind. Maybe like the Incredible Hulk ride from Universal Studios in, in, in Orlando. Uh, you're dangling your legs there. You're kind of up and down. It kind of starts off slowly and then kind of just builds and builds and builds. That's, to me, what it, what it kind of feels like. Um, and how tall do you have to be to ride this? Wow, I mean. Let's say five feet. I don't know. That seems about right. I mean, you probably could be shorter to actually go on roller coasters, but five feet feels like it's just right enough. Maybe maybe a little bit short. Maybe four feet. Anyway, this next question comes in from Jeff Nicholas. Can we talk about how good KO and Duncan were on defense today? KO was excellent on the hedge and recover execution, and he maybe set a personal best for blockouts. Duncan was so very good splitting the difference on the weak side and closing out of the corner. All good points from Jeff, and and you do notice it on occasion. I, I did make it a mention during the game broadcast that KO had a really good back-to-back -back possession defensively and offensively where he had an amazing closeout, forced a bad shot, and then on the other end, uh, ran down court quickly. I think he was a trailer for Jimmy Butler who was initiating the fast break, and he knocked down a three-pointer. It was excellent defense-offense transition for KO, and I think you're seeing more of that. Like, KO... It's so easy to beat up on him, but I think he's a lot better than people think. There are there are certainly moments there where you have to look and go, wow, what the hell was that? But overall, I, I think that's just us picking on our guy. I, I think if you look at other players, you're still going to have moments like that. No player is perfect. KO stretches the floor. He handles the ball well. It looked like he was 
I guess over the last couple of games, to me anyway, a more active rebounder. And he seems also like he's making more of a pursuit on blocks. Like he's trying to be more of a rim protector, which, you know, given that he's seven feet tall, makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. But to Jeff's overall point, yes, there are other more subtle things that he's doing defensively on the hedge, you know, trapping the guard, uh, all those kinds of things. He, he seemed to have more court awareness, if that makes any sense. At least that's how I would label it. As for Duncan, similarly, I think he's doing better. He's still going to be one of those guys that's a little foul prone, but I think he's moving his feet better, more awareness, doing a pretty good job of trying to close out on players and avoid making unnecessary contact. So kudos to both of them for taking small leaps there. I'm not sure what the difference has been. I've seen Jimmy Butler, and like I hate to keep going back to Jimmy. He's not the savior, but he does provide such a boost. He's gotten on both of them. Like I've seen him on the court, just talking to both Kelly and Duncan, kind of yelling at him and saying, look, do this. I need you to come up here. Don't, you know, make, don't make that same mistake over and over. And that's holding players accountable. I think that's the kind of, not necessarily pressure. It's the reality is like, look, I've got these expectations for you. You need to live up to them. This next question comes in from Webby, who writes in, hey, David, been thinking about Myers' contract. That's Myers Leonard. Being injured, he may no longer be a tradable piece, but should you de-retire so that Myers could be on the vet minimum, a veteran minimum to replace the UD role. That's there's a lot to break down there. Um, first of all, he's got a, a team option next season, so he's that that probably is not going to get exercised. And so the ten million dollars that he was hoping to collect or would hope to collect probably not going to be able to do so next season. So what was his role then as a guy who's had shoulder surgery, has been somewhat exposed as a limited player, doesn't have the kind of uh, versatility to his game that a lot of people are looking for from the five spot, is somewhat of a dinosaur, although he can at least stretch the floor so he's not exactly Hassan Whiteside because at least he's a 45% three-point shooter. I don't know how many options are going to be available for him. I'll be 100% honest with you. If he makes a full recovery, I could see him having that vet role. I could see him kind of coming in and signing for the veteran minimum. I would, you know, I he has to make some harsh decisions about where he is as a player. Like, he's made a lot of money over the course of his career, you know, all, with relatively speaking. There are still players who have made a lot more. There are players who have made a lot less. So, whatever. I'm not going to debate, you know, whether or not a player is worth a certain amount of money or whether he's made too much. Those questions are terrible, I think, quite honestly. Um, but as far as Myers is concerned, does he want to be a vet minimum guy? I don't get that sense. I think he would take a short-term deal for not a lot of money, like two years, maybe $5 million. Uh, and I don't know that he'll ever be able to replace UD. Like, that's that's unfair level of expectation. Is he a guy who's positive and is going to be able to explain things to you in his booming voice? Hell yeah, he can do all that. Does he command a locker room and have the same kind of presence as a UD where he can get into some kid's face and tell him, look, you better cut the shit and, and follow the heat course of action? No. No, he's not. Like, he's just not – he's not – you know, you don't take him seriously that way. Even at seven feet tall, uh, you know, as muscular as he is, you just don't – he's not going to have the same kind of impact in the locker room. But I do like him as a veteran that can boost confidence and be a vocal player, maybe not get a lot of playing time. I just – that doesn't seem like that's the role he wants. I think he wants to keep playing. And if that's the case, he's not going to get much of an opportunity in Miami. He's probably going to look elsewhere, and he'll probably explore other options. Then again, I thought that was the move for him this offseason, and he wound up taking a two-year deal from Miami, which I'm sure a lot of people are not too happy about right now. Last question comes in from Stan. 
Are you going to bring back the power forward belt? It feels like we needed this reason. The season, excuse me, Stan, you must be a long-term listener. I appreciate the question. For those of you who don't know, uh, that was the 2016-17 season where it was the power forward by committee and uh, Derek Williams, James Johnson, and of course, Luke Babbitt were all the power forward at one point or another. And it just whoever was the best power forward on a game-to-game basis, me and my former co-host Wes Goldberg used to talk about who earns the power bo- power forward belt. Uh, you know, right now it's Kelly Olenek. There's nobody else. Like maybe Precious has won on an occasion. Maybe even Andre Godala has won on an occasion, but there aren't a lot of options right now. KO is the Luke Babbitt, and he has held the, the belt for a considerable amount of time. Although James Johnson did get it pretty regularly, even though he was coming off the bench. So anyway, thank you so much, Stan, for giving me that question and sending me back down memory lane. But betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert, Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. Make sure to get your team every day just by asking your smart device to play Locked On Heat. I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support.